Today on Tune FM, we're sitting down to talk to Dr. Marty Brannigan, the convener of peace studies here at UNE, about practical peace building given the ongoing conflict between Palestine and Israel. So in the past, both Marty and Dr. Joanna Garnett, another lecturer in peace studies here at UNE, have been on the show, and they've both spoken about this concept of positive peace and negative peace. So can you, for new listeners, explain the difference between those? Yeah, sure. Um, negative peace is really just the very uh, first stages of, of building peace. It, it's when you get a ceasefire. Uh, a lot of people are calling for a ceasefire um, in Israel-Palestine. And from that position, then you can start to build a more uh, sustainable peace. So in a situation like this, where it is such a complex and nuanced situation... How much work goes into achieving even negative peace? A huge amount has to go into it. Um, although I would say that although there's a lot of complexities and it's been a very long-running conflict, it really just boils down to a couple of things, and that's violence, which we're going to talk about shortly, um, and injustice. Positive peace is the long-term goal, obviously, for, for any situation, what does the transition from negative peace to positive peace look like at a practical level? Probably a good example would be apartheid in South Africa. That was a very, very long conflict. Uh, there were some similarities to what's happening in Israel-Palestine. Uh, the, the Dutch, the Afrikaners and the British all came in and imposed themselves in someone else's country and then started to exclude the, the original inhabitants. Um, there's obviously some differences in that Jewish people have um, precedence um, in Palestine, um, but there was an imposition um, from about 1923 of Jewish people um, back into Palestinian territories. In South Africa, there was a lot of non-violence attempted, then people started to think, well, we're not getting anywhere, let's use violence. And that just backfired. It was counterproductive. It drove people away from the movement. It didn't bring in international support. It alienated that sort of support. Uh, it, it really just got nowhere. And it wasn't until people started looking at boycotts and trying to get international support for those boycotts, uh, including uh, Bob Hawke, Australia's Prime Minister. He led that international push to put financial pressure on the South African government against the figures like Margaret Thatcher. You know, they thought you could conduct business with anyone and you know, regardless of morality. Uh, that boycott, starting in, in the townships in black South Africa, spreading to the white townships, then spreading to the world, um, Corporations like Ford, Coca-Cola and so on, students led these boycotts. They got their universities to divest. Um, and in the end, South Africa was forced to come to the negotiating table with the African National Congress and they together hammered out an agreement that has survived. And Nelson Mandela, although he didn't renounce violence, was exemplary as a leader after that peace agreement in that he wasn't after vengeance, he was after creating a, 
a multicultural South Africa that has worked um, for everyone. Now, there's still a lot of problems in South Africa. You have to expect that when there's been so much trouble for so long. But they're doing a lot better. Um, mm. As is, I, I might add, uh, Northern Ireland. Similarly, they had a very, very long conflict. They resolved that. Women led peace marches from both sides. They came together. They had international support from um, women in the UK government and so on. Uh, and that peace agreement hammered out um, more than 25 years ago is now still pretty much holding. And they're very gradually building up peace. They're reconciling. They're using the arts to try and get forgiveness, try and get the divided communities back together. And, and by and large, that's working. So these supposedly unsolvable or intractable conflicts can be resolved. So does it need to start from the top, from government, or does it need to start from the people as a, as a grassroots movement? I, th I think you need both. Yeah, I think you need high-level leadership, and we're certainly seeing that from the United Nations. They are consistently calling, um, in a very balanced way, for the violence to stop, first and foremost, but also uh, for a very objective look at the structural violence, the slow violence that predominantly is coming from Israel towards Palestine. So Israel gets billions of dollars in military aid from the US. Um, that's from taxpayers in the US. They pay uh, corporations like Lockheed Martin and Boeing. They have this incredible military might and they're using that to continually expand the territory of Israel. They're um, demolishing houses, they're taking over farmlands, they're, they're knocking down ancient olive orchards and so on. Uh, and understandably, Palestinians are, are very upset by this, but there is not great international support. The mm. media, by and large, uh, is very reluctant to report on what's happening to the Palestinians, or they might be regarded as anti-Semitic. And that, in a way, is like saying that if you were opposed to the apartheid regime in South Africa, you were anti-white, mm. which is just a nonsense. You know, people were opposed to that particular regime, not to a particular people. So when we look at violence in peace studies, how do we define it? So we have direct violence. Um, that is the really obvious stuff. That's what most media focuses on the the explosions the killings uh, there's also underlying this structural violence which is less visible but it's just as insidious it kills more people on earth than direct violence does it, it's when you have for example the, the blockade of, of gaza where people can't get enough water can't get enough food don't have power um, this blockade's been going on for 16 years in reality, um, some things have been allowed through, but a lot of things haven't. So this is structural violence. That kills people through hunger or maldevelopment, um, malnourishment, that, that sort of thing. And then you have a third type of violence, which is cultural violence, which is through the media, through social media, through memes, through narratives that can demonise a particular 
group of people can say that you know these people are, are bad, these people are crazy, or these people want to take over the whole country. You know, things that are um, can produce direct violence or can mm. lead to structural violence. So propaganda? For sure, yeah. yeah. We saw that, you know, during World War II, Nazi Germans were, were very good at propaganda, at, at dehumanising Jewish people. Um, the Holocaust was a, an atrocious event in human history. Um, and I think a lot of Jewish and Israeli people are still um, traumatised from that. It's... it's um, so, understandable that Jewish people in Israel um, are nervous about people around them, uh, but they're possibly unaware that they're creating enemies through their actions. Mm. Um, on the other hand, the Palestinians, I believe um, that the Hamas group certainly uh, are using violent tactics which are abhorrent. Mm. They're attacking civilians, including ravers and people in kibbutzes who tend to be more progressive people. So they're driving away Jewish support, they're killing civilians. Um, that's completely unacceptable, but I think it's also counterproductive. It's not helping their cause at all. It's, it's a cycle, right? You know, you've got this situations of constant ongoing conflict. You've got retaliation from both sides. You've got kids growing up in these devastating environments where this is all they know, and it leads them wide open to extremism. So how do we break that cycle? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it, it's not easy. Worth noting that some of the things that don't get reported on are mass nonviolent actions. So two years ago, Palestinians right across Palestinian territories and Israeli uh, areas went on strike. So this is doctors, um, construction workers, clerks, um, all down their tools in a protest that they hoped would get a lot more media, a lot more coverage, uh, and that would have not just um, influence but also practical um, implications and certainly did hurt some um, businesses within Israel that um, rather than you know being um, attacked by, with stones, they're being attacked through or confronted through non-violent methods so that Hopefully there's still avenues of, of dialogue there. But there's also a whole range of cross-cultural things um, that are happening internationally. So you'll get um, Israeli people and Palestinians working together on environmental issues. Um, you'll get um, institutions from the US uh, and elsewhere getting children from both sides together or all sides because you should note that there's a, about 30% of um, the Gaza Strip of, and Palestinians generally are um, Christian, not Muslim. So trying to get a range of people together and getting them to talk together and, and spend a week trying to deal with these very difficult issues. That, you know, if you don't deal with them well, then that trauma is going to be going on for decades and, and centuries. And even if we do reach a peace agreement in the next five, ten years, that's, it's still going to be an ongoing thing. For sure, yeah. There will, there will be a very, very long reconciliation process. Um, that needs to happen again at all levels. It needs to be led by governments. It needs to be led um, at the low level by councils, but also at grassroots levels of people just 
reaching out to their neighbours and, and trying to get over the, the terrible things that have been happening in that region for so long. Mm. And, you know, it comes back, I think, to this idea of cross-cultural communication as well. You know, you've got to learn how to stop seeing people as the other because we are all the us. And that's difficult when you're in situations like this. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's, there's been some great leadership uh, in this area. I've been looking at uh, a statement that was put out by a group of Jewish rabbis and Palestinians together. Mm. Um and they have suggested that we recognise and uplift the humanity of all peoples in Israel Palestine. They call for an immediate ceasefire from Hamas and Israel. Um, they demand that basic needs be provided to Gazans. So that's you know, um, international human right to food and water that is consistently being denied to the Palestinians in Gaza. Um, we demand that the United States provide only humanitarian support to Israel and Gaza. We support the creation of a movement that recognises and affirms the humanity, dignity and desire of both peoples to live in peace through reconciliation and justice. What was the, the group that did that statement? Uh, a group of Jewish rabbis. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. They've come together informally. Yeah. Um, but they're working through groups like um, Nonviolence International or Waging Nonviolence, a group of people that are putting out statements that generally aren't picked up by the mass media. Mm -hmm. um, so I keep coming back to because I think this, this is a really um, important issue that this is, there is objective reporting of, of the situation and in-depth discussion. So um, on that note, I, I just am very grateful to be invited here to, to Tune FM because you guys are, are interested in trying to get to the root causes of the things rather than just reporting on the, you know, the more sensational aspects. And I think it's important as well. You know, we see the sensationalism, we see the violence, and that's what grabs people's attention, but it doesn't teach them anything. It doesn't do anything conductive. It doesn't help. So, yeah, learning about what these things look like, what the underlying causes are, why it's not just as simple as one side versus the other. There's a lot of history there. And, you know, these peace talks, this peace process, I think is it's referred to, um, has been going on for, for decades. You know, it's not just a reason thing. They've spoken about two-state solutions, one-state solutions. Both parties have discussed it a number of times, but we haven't gotten anywhere yet so from a perspective of you know practical peace building how challenging is it to achieve these solutions it takes goodwill yeah. i think it takes people uh, a great deal of energy to step back from the pain and and hurt that's caused by this violence whether it's the direct violence or uh, it's the ongoing slow violence, structural violence, and the cultural violence that is associated with that. Um, the statement by those rabbis and, and Palestinians um, says, we seek a third path that doesn't perpetuate a xenophobic response, nor sustains an unjust status quo. This moment calls us to slow down, sit with the pain and complexity, and grapple with our discomfort. It's a moment for digging deep, 
seeing across differences and remembering our deep yearning for peace and justice. It's only through compassion and empathy that we will find a different way. In Armidale, there's a forum to discuss the unending Israel-Palestine war. Um, it's Thursday from 7 o'clock in the auditorium at NECOM, the okay. conservatorium in the old teachers' college. The, just a synopsis of um, what it's going to be about. The speakers shed light on causes of the 75-year conflict and its recent tragic escalation. They don't take a partisan approach to key players in the conflict. They abhor war crimes and the abuse of human rights on both sides. They advocate for humanitarian, peaceful and diplomatic solutions. They support free, res respectful and informed public debate in Australia. And they express sympathy for and solidarity with the hapless civilian victims. Because they're the ones that I really feel for, the, the children particularly, who have nothing to do with the conflict and yet are being injured and killed um, by both sides. So is, the, is this event free to attend for people? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. Well, thank you for coming in and, and for sharing that event. I think it's a very important forum to have for people who want to learn more and speak openly about this situation, which is, yeah, it's very complex and it can weigh on people a lot, especially with how much it is being in the media. So, you know, if people need to talk to someone, we've got Lifeline. Um, you can talk to CAPS here at UNE. If you need to speak to a mate, let them know. If it's affecting you too much, just stay off social media for a bit. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thank you for coming in today, Marty, and thanks for chatting with us about this. Thank you, Ash.